Hi, it's Robert, the podcast producer, with a trigger warning. The following episode of No Kidding Me Too does contain a detailed conversation about suicide. And on a technical note, a few times during the episode, you may hear buzzing. I guarantee you it's not you, your ears, your headphones, or your speakers. It was something on our end that unfortunately we couldn't work around. Thank you. Hey, I'm Joe Pantoliano. And I'm the daughter, Daniela Pantoliano. And welcome to No Kidding, Me Too. Hey, today we are speaking with headhunter, author, entrepreneur, and management executive Rob Barnett. Okay, so Rob is the author of... Next Job, Best Job, Headhunter's 11 Strategies to Get Hired Now. Well, there we go. So... I'm very excited to talk to him. Um, at Are first, you looking for a headhunter, Danny? No, I'm looking for a job. Um, <laughs> so maybe this podcast will get me paid somehow. No, um, but it's it's the perfect time for all this because so many people are in between jobs. They lost their job because of the pandemic and now want to try something new. A lot of people are quitting their jobs or want to quit their jobs to better fit their lifestyle and their goals. There's just a big shift coming and it'll be really interesting to see what he says. And also, I think it's really great that this very successful headhunter, you know, male people that you usually think would never talk about their feelings or emotions. He's very open about mental health. He has like a Vimeo channel where he does little videos about dealing with your pain and your mental health and moments of happiness in your work day. Um, so it'll be really great to talk to him on this podcast and get his insights and perspective and learn about him and his journey. Well, okay then let's fire up the zoom and talk to Rob Barnett. So are you in New York? I'm in uh, the great state of New Jersey. Hey, we're big New Jersey people. What part of New Jersey? I've been in Summit for 100 years, but now I'm a single dude. So I moved one mile away to the teeming metropolis of New Providence. That's in New Jersey? I never heard of that. What, what county is that? Uh, it's Union County. So you got Summit, Maplewood, Milburn, Short Hills, you know. I live in Hoboken. Oh, you're in Hoboken. I used to live on 6th and Willow. I live on 6th and Willow. No, 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 no. Really? I've been there for 35 years, 600. Oh, that's fucking crazy. I'm not a big drinker, but the greatest drunk story ever on 6th and Willow ever. I, I was on the fifth floor of a top floor uh, uh, walk up. I, I mean, I'm not that big a drinker, right? So, so uh, the head of MTV is leaving. And the MTV parties used to be, they were multi-million dollar parties, right? So, so we go to some place where the people that were serving drinks were half naked in holsters with tequila shots. Oh, yeah. That was the thing that you did in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so somehow I get to, to the apartment. I get home, but you know how it is, the door that leads to the street, then takes you, what is that, like three feet where the mailboxes are mm -hmm. to the next door that gets you into the apartment. Mm -hmm. So the first time I wake up, I used to wear a watch. I was looking at my watch. It was like 520. 
and I was on the ground between, you know, where the mailboxes are. <laughs> and the first thought I had is like, I if if a neighbor saw me, this is bad. This is not good. The second time I woke up, I had gotten up into my apartment somehow on the fifth floor, but my first half of my body was in the apartment and the and the the leg and butt part of the body was in the hallway yeah that's my hoboken oh man yeah hoboken's the best happy father's day you father and daughter person you <laughs> thank, thank you. you are you a father i have three children yes uh, happy, yeah. father's happy father's day. day then thank you i got a 27 year old daughter from my first long marriage and 13-year-old twins from, from round two, a girl and a boy. Then they're not identical. You're the only person who was able to figure that out in that <laughs> moment when everyone tries to figure it out. You're the fucking one guy who, who, who got it. Well, I, you know, I am the grandfather of identical twin boys. Oh, look and, at that, uh, Steve. And they're going to be two. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I still I'm really it. glad to meet you guys. I yeah, because this is this is this is important. Uh, it's good leading because uh, now you're a headhunter. Now you 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 place people in what what specifically? What kind of jobs? I call it media, so <laughs> it means everything. Because in you know, I started in college as a rock radio kid. And I did that for 10 years and moved all around the country as a program director. And then I got to MTV in the late 80s when it was still all music. And that was an incredible time with some of the best bosses in the world. And I worked there for a dozen years at MTV and VH1. And uh, it was incredibly fun. It was just, the, you know, that was when things were going on there. I mean, you, you could come up with an idea on a Friday night at six and say, I'm thinking of a show with like, you know, a couple of guys. And then on Tuesday, you'd be on, you know, it wasn't, you know, 17 years of pitching and meetings with 78 execs. It was, it was amazing time. Because it was, the, it was the beginning times, you know, when nobody knew nothing and you just give it a try. And everyone wasn't so afraid that they would get fired. Right. You make one mistake, you know, yeah, well, that's the that's the interesting thing about our business is we all get fired. Everybody gets fired. That's the one thing you got to understand is we're all going to get fired. <laughs> yes. Hey, have you have you done a book, Joey? I don't know this. Have you done a book? Yeah, I've I've done two. I did. Uh, but wait a minute. You do know that this is a podcast, so they can't see your book. But you have you have a new book coming out. It, I do. It, it's. Uh, Look, I, I am an accidental headhunter, and now I'm an accidental author. This is the, I never expected at this ripe old age that I'd be doing either one of these two things. But I had a long and fun career in radio, television, film, online video, podcasting, audio books. The only thing I didn't do was a puppet show. And then I got stuck in uh, 2018 overqualified, out of work, no one was returning my calls, and I was losing my freaking mind. And and uh, it became just maddening to me. So one day with no game plan whatsoever, I grabbed my iPhone, I press record, and I made a video and I said, look, what I'm about to say is not unique. 
a lot of my friends are in this exact same boat. We've had these great careers and now there's this new thing called ghosting where nobody responds and <laughs> returns any of your perfectly written notes. And I said, look, we at least should put our heads together and think about how to solve this a little bit. And I uploaded the video just to Facebook and LinkedIn at nine o'clock in the morning. And by dinner time, there were 600 comments under the one video and 16,000 views. Wow. So I, I woke up the next day and I said, all right, episode two struck a nerve. Let's keep talking still with no game plan. And then after about eight or nine days, a guy calls and says, listen, I, I'm watching these every morning. I met you at MTV a hundred years ago and I'm running a production company. I need a chief operating officer. Are you a headhunter? Is that what this is? And I went, yes. <laughs> and then I muted the call and I put in the Google search, headhunter, recruiter, retainer, fee, commission. I just read as fast as I could. And then I answered all his questions and the guy goes, great, write it up, let's go. <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it just completely blew my mind because if you had told me that I'd be doing that, it, it just wasn't a notion in my head. But the minute it hit, I realized that maybe I had had my run, I had had great jobs, and the new job would be helping everybody else get one, you know, and, and, and wedge in between people who wanted and deserved great work but were stuck and my friends who thankfully still run the biggest media companies in the world. But now instead of me calling them and saying, Hey, can we have coffee? Can we get a drink? Can, you know, can I pick your brain, all that bullshit stuff? You know, can you throw me a bone? Those calls would always end with people saying, listen, you're great, but I don't have anything right now. And I will keep you in mind. You know, that's the way it always used to end. So now I realize I call them with a whole different thing and say, I've got this website, I've got this email we send out to thousands of people every Sunday. So if a company needs someone to run any division, I've already got these people. It's gonna take me a day to put together, you know, a small group of the most qualified people. And then the only unknown thing is chemistry, you know, and whether whether people like each other or not. But I, I just felt like I had to cure the disease of all this. Nobody gets back to anybody. Nobody knows where they stand, you know, and just really cut to the chase. The, it's become a, a mission, you know, and then a guy called out of left field and said, this is a book. And I said, it's a book if you sell it. You know? And, and, uh, and they sold it, you know, because uh, at, at the height of COVID, as you know, there were 41 million people out of work. So I think that was something called luck. So is this keeping you busy now? You know, people getting back. I mean, can you, um, can you take a, the temperature on, on what's happening in, in, in your line of work? Uh, are people hiring now? Uh, is there an optimism? It's really come back. Yeah, it, it has. And that's only in the last couple of months, you know, due to all the things we know 
uh, it's come back. And now if you read the articles that are out in the last couple of days, it's reversed where a lot of people are quitting jobs because they just realize, you know, the ultimate feeling now is, wait a minute, like I just went through, I just survived the end of the world. What do I really want to be doing? And maybe working for an asshole is, is not at the top of the list. You know? Yeah, I can relate to that. I think it's really like meant to be that we're interviewing you because I mean, like I struggle with the job area. Um, I'm like a freelancer now. I'm a filmmaker. And that was very hard to claim for a long time. And I'm right now like looking for more jobs because I work for this company making uh, scenes for actors to put in their reels. And I love it so much, but it's not steady and it's not paying me as much as I need. So it was very, it, it was, you were really busy. COVID came I would, and we, shut I down. Mean, yeah. And, and now it's, it's what? It's at, slower. At 50%. Yeah. Cause we used to work like 14 hour days nonstop. It was paid hourly and it was like amazing. I was great. Um, I don't know how I did those days cause there was no breaks in between, but it was just so fun. And now we do only like three a day, which is more manageable and we get better, um, products and we're just happier when we're working. But, um, you know, COVID really was hard on companies like that, but they're, they're coming back really strong, which is amazing. And I truly, if I could work with, for them full time, I would be so happy, but I'm like looking at all this stuff and I struggle with like claiming what I can do and like being confident in that. Um, also cause I've never really had like real jobs. I was babysitter. And then I did this. I worked for this film camp. And it was also kind of just like I got opportunities through friends. I was a personal assistant to a a producer, which was really fun and a big learning curve. Um, But I also there's like a women tend to when we look for jobs, if we have to check off all the boxes. If there's one that we don't check, we're like, Oh, we can't do it. It's opposite for men. Men are like, I can do any, like, I don't need to check any of the boxes. I can get this. I can do it. Um, and I know you have a big fake it till you make it mentality. I mean, that's how you became a headhunter. So, I mean, my question to you, I guess, is how do you advise someone to get that confidence to fake it till they make it in in any field, but for me specifically, like in film and television, where it can be so like anxiety ridden, if you make a mistake, like you said, like fired, done. But at the same time, if that's the norm, then maybe that's not something to fear. You said something really important that I realized, because, you know, I've had, it's three plus years now, and I have these conversations nonstop all day long with either the person making the hiring decision or the person that's looking. And the biggest thing I learned about this entire process is that all the professionals out there doing what I now do for a living, recruiters, headhunters, resume writers, LinkedIn experts, all these people have this mentality about the way you present yourself on the page, on the resume and the LinkedIn and and their idea is that you use every buzzword there is and you give a whole variety of potential job titles. I call it butcher, baker, candlestick maker, slash development, slash creative, slash all of that. And 
I realized that the number one problem is that that positioning is completely unfocused. So yes, I'm friends with the head of CBS. We love each other. But if at that moment he's sitting in his office and the roof is leaking, he looks up and goes, fuck. And, and he just needs a roofer at that instant. And so if there's a headhunter he's using, he'll go, go get me a roofer. And then every other person that's presenting development, film, podcasting, audio, video, meaning that like all those messages are saying, hire me for anything. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get people to pull that all back and say, thing one, this is the spiritual part. <laughs> What's in my heart? What do I really want to do if no one says no, right? Then thing two's got to be logical. Thing two is, am I fucking great at that? If, if nobody else's opinion, just your own, am I great at the thing I want to do? Then it's that part you talked about, and this is the toughest part. Part three is, is there enough proof in the recent past on the resume and the LinkedIn that you've done that thing? And then if you put all those three pieces together, the heart, the head, the confidence that you know you're great at it, and there's enough proof that you can do it, then I work with people to, to write that story in the most focused way possible that ends up with roofer. This is the one, hire her, you know? But if there isn't enough experience, then the only way I've come up with answering that, and you guys know this, but you gotta take a job that's more junior but at least one that's in the right spot so that it lines up with what you know you want to do. But, you know, you're betting on yourself. You're going, I'm going to go in there for a year, suck it up, get paid less money, maybe a shittier title. But a year from now, there'll be more cred there, you know? And especially in, in entertainment where I just feel heart sick every time somebody says, well, I have to take a shit job to pay the bills for 12 hours a day, but I'm going to make it onto, you know, a film set one of these days. I always feel like make it onto a film set now, you know, <laughs> don't, don't go work in something else, right? If, if you know that, that that's where you want to be. So I'm always trying to push people with that life is too short mentality you know, that says, why are you not going for what you want to do? Where do you think that, did that mentality, did you always have that? Um, or is that something you had to like adjust your brain to thinking? Well, I mean, look, I, I'm, I was so glad to get a chance to talk to you guys. And I started listening to what you're doing and realizing that, you know, I've grown up for 61 years with mental disease all around me and my entire family. And, and uh, you know, it's taken some of them down and taken some of them away from the earth. And so I've always had this mentality of, well, then I just have to work really hard and, you know, not, it, that's been my drug. My drug's been go, 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 go someday rest 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 you know <laughs> but uh, it's it's been a survival thing for me and i've been fired you know like you said joey i mean you know i mean how many times 
the, you know, the, the only way I've survived that is I realized that, you know, if Martin Scorsese comes up with an idea for a movie right now, this minute, he doesn't write the check. He's got to go pitch, you know, like he's got to pitch it, right? Someone else has to pay for it. Martin Scorsese is, is not a good example because he and like four other guys, you know, Steven Spielberg, these, you know, these enormous successes that young filmmakers look up to and, and want to emulate. Um, you know, right now, Lynn Miranda could could pitch and sell a movie about a ham sandwich. Yes. Uh, they, they would think that's the greatest idea because, you know, everybody wants to be with, with winners. But, you know, to be a journeyman, you know, to go from one, you know, one job to the next job, to pay the rent and to be able to do it in the in the industry that you dream about being a part of from when when I started this 50 years ago uh it's going to be 50 years I've been in the entertainment industry and I can tell you the, the, the competition there were very few people that wanted to be in show business 50 years ago um, there was a lot of, a lot of, it was unattainable, unattainable. And now you work a year and you've got a good job and you ask for a raise and next, you know, it's, it, 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 it's a whole different industry that I don't even understand. I, you know, I, I, I don't even want to give advice. Uh, you know, my daughter mentions to me that, you know, what, what, that I should, think about uh, teaching acting. And I, and I just feel like I'd be a fraud, you know, teaching a bunch of people about a, a job set that I, I, I think is drying up. I mean, I just don't get it. I don't, I, I'd be stealing their money. You know, I, I, I'd rather, I'd rather just, you know, pull out a, a prop gun and, and steal their money that way. I, I, I feel like I'd be more honorable doing it that way. You know, I'm not a big research guy, but they made me do a little bit of research to write this book. And the one stat that blew me away the most is that the average length of any job, the average job right now is four years. And I'm 61, so I know that we've got DNA in our bodies from our parents and our grandparents that said, you should get a steady job. You should get something that something that lasts, something that, you know, is is a is a secure position. And I've just seen so many people, myself included, lose their minds when they lose their jobs. Now I feel like I have to help people to understand that it's absolutely normal to lose your job mm -hmm. in this new environment. Well, let me let me ask you a question. You know, to be 60 years old and lose your job, I think is much more difficult because if you lose your job and you need a job, you're overqualified, your salary is, is too big, to handle, I I have a lot of a lot of uh, f uh, director friends, filmmakers, you know, that had great careers, and nobody wants to pay them five million dollars to make a movie anymore. 
they're losing out to to 28 year olds out of film school yeah for for you know for 45,000 or 100,000 right well i think it's interesting cuz you know as a podcast about mental health you would think like how does jobs tie into that and i think for a very long time and i think it's slowly starting to shift your identity was your job and so when you lost your job you lost your identity. The other element is most people are three paychecks away from being absolutely broke. Yes. So you lose your job, and you mm-hmm. it, you know, and you have you have a, a two week severance. So you got six weeks to get the next job, or you can't pay the rent. Emotionally, there's a tilt in a lot of people. You know, get, bringing it back to to what our subject is which is emotional disease, you know, anxiety and depression, um, you know, to be in show business, I think it's an asset to be bipolar. I mean, cause at least you're going to have some really good productive days. It's only when <laughs> yeah. you get, you get depressed that you kind of shut down. Yeah. I wish I was bipolar. <laughs> you know, most, most, uh, a lot of newspaper guys and gals are bipolar. A lot of writers are bipolar. But um, the idea of of, uh, of losing that job and 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 being a a hit maker, you know, it's it's one thing when you're in your twenties. It's one thing. It's another thing when you're in your thirties. It's even another thing when you're in your forties and been around the block. You know, I I I I reflect on my own career and a lot of the lying. And, you know, fuck it moments in my own career where it worked out. I just bullshit my way out of it. You know, after a while, people get to know you. And you and sometimes you can't back, back it up. You know, the, the thing about depression is, is losing interest in something that was pleasurable and you, and you, don't, you can't enjoy it anymore. But, uh, or you're being depressed when everything is great. When I... When I became traumatized with my depression. Everything was great. You know, I was making a lot of money. I had just won a, an Emmy award. Uh, 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 people wanted to work with me. I would call my agent and say, look, you got to get me out of this play. Get me a pilot because I got a pilot out on this play and I don't want to be in it anymore. And they'd get me a pilot. You know, now I'm 70 years old and the industry has changed for the good and I and thank God I've made a lot enough money that I don't need money to you know I, I I've got money coming in. Thank God for that. I'm being realistic with what's available. I've had an incredible career, but you know they're they're not you know a lot of seventy year old you know parts. And if and if there are the line's gotten a lot longer for me because a lot of movie stars are doing these character parts now. Ultimately, the anxiety, the, 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 the whatever emotional response to the fact that you lost your job uh, and, 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 and your wife is worried and your kids are worried and, you know, and, and how that manifests itself at the dinner table is, is something that a lot of people go through, but they don't, they don't call you up and talk about it or do they? 
No, this is it, man. This is the, the, the beginning of the book. I, I take three chapters to write about every single thing you just said and, and try to offer people as much practical help as possible to get over this agony because I've just seen it bring people down in a way that's brutal. You know, it's brutal. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a, of a music junkie. So every chapter is connected to a song and, uh, chapter two is called emotional rescue for the stones, you know, and, and, and a lot of it is, I realize this, and I know you guys are professionals in this, but when tragedy struck in my life, I realized the one and only real productive thing that came to my mind was, I think I'm supposed to talk about this openly to everybody that I know. I think I should do that. You know, my, my brother took his life about two years ago and, and in maybe within that first 24 hours, because I make a video every day, I just really challenged myself before I got too scared and said, I, I guess I, I better tell everybody about this, you know, and, and uh, 6,000 people responded immediately. So I think part of being stuck and down and losing your confidence is somehow just throwing it all out there openly to the world, knowing that the people who really do love you, the people who are your friends, it's better that they know, right? And then maybe, maybe some of them can help you. But I think the hardest thing about loving somebody who's got really hard problems mentally is there also comes to a point where you can't help that person and they need professional help. And uh, I did, you know, I did, I fell apart and uh, realized I needed to go get that help. Was that as a result of your, your brother's? That did me in. Yeah. That almost did me in, you know, was there any, was there any notice? Um... Lots. Yeah. <laughs> About 50 years of notice, but, but violent and horrible in the end, you know, were you had you already backed away uh, or or were you talking to him and trying to help? Uh, uh, yes, yes. And yes, I, I had backed away completely when I realized that, you know, if I hire the guy and put him on a television show and give him a job and he threatens to shoot the producer in the head with a gun, that that might not be a good thing <laughs> that I maybe shouldn't put him on shows. You know? <laughs> and uh, so I'm laughing, but, you know, I tried and tried and tried. So then I had mm -hmm. a long break. But what was horrible is that in the end, he did pull me right back into the grand finale, you know, and uh, it was very, very difficult, you know, to, to get through that without pros. Was he your only sibling? Uh, he was my younger brother. I grew up with him. He was adopted five years younger. And uh, I feel terrible saying this, but like one of the weirdest thoughts that came in that moment was, oh, okay, then we don't have those genes, you know, like, it was like, like stupid things come into your head. Well, no, it's, it's, it's not stupid. You no, know, it's, um, it's fight or flight. As a matter of fact, I've had a lot of conversations with people who have adopted. And I had a, a really good, intense conversation with somebody who had such such a horrible family 
lifestyle uh, growing up that uh, there, there was so so much dysfunction that he decided that he didn't want to have children because of his genes. So they adopted. And in adopting, they just adopted somebody else's uh, terrible history uh, with mental disease and, and addiction. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't know if it's me, but I think, I think that mental distress untreated is, is quite normal. And, uh, and a lot of people have it. And, and it's only because we're talking about it more that we understand. I mean, I, I look at this behavior now and I realize, oh, the girl I used to go out with, that was, she must've been bipolar or, you know, my, my mom was, must've been, never been diagnosed, but she was probably personality disorder. You, you just never know. But it, it, in, in, in trying to get you, it sounds like your brother wanted a job. He called you up and he needed a job, but was there ever any talk that was he in denial? Did he, did he think that just getting a job was going to make it all right? If I could only get a job, then this is going to go away. Yeah. He was the kind of person that really never, uh, wanted the kind of help that a professional could provide, you know, so he, he medicated with, you know, sex, drugs, violence, you know, mm -hmm. you name it, you mm -hmm. know, you name it, you know, he, yeah, I, 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 that's what I did. Yeah. But also that's what a lot of people in show business do show business also is bipolar reality. You know, show business is uh very up and down. Uh, you know, in my job description, if if you uh, have an audition for you know, or or a callback for really important uh, something that's going to maybe change your life, uh, and then that feeling of of waiting and uh, waiting to find out, mm -hmm. yes, I got the job. Or I always I always think about agents that I I have a soft spot for agents because. They're in the business of giving bad news to to uh, to creative artists. You know, it's like even if they have nine people up for the same job, they've got to make eight calls to say you didn't get it. Yeah. Um, I want to go back. So my my grandfather committed suicide, and I think it was it was very different circumstances. He was how old was Grandpa? He, almost ninety. He was 84. Oh, so no, 84. Um, and we think he was getting sick and he just wanted to take matters into his own hands. No, no, no anything. Um, but I was older, so I kind of understood it. And, and I mean, it's hard to understand, but I could grasp it better than my 13-year-old cousin. And this happened two years ago. How did you tell your kids? And what was their relationship with their uncle? Did they have one? And how do you, in general, how do you deal with mental health issues with your children? Well, they they didn't know him that well because, as as you said, Joey, that there was so much distance, right? It just got it, it was just too much drama, right? So so and mm -hmm. three thousand miles uh between us right you know i had lived in la in in the 80s and this will be a seven hour show if we talk about my mom but god bless her my mom was mentally ill and in bed for the last 40 years of her life mm -hmm. so at one point i brought them both with, out to la with me and then i moved back for a job in new york so we had this three thousand mile thing and then because 
he was so sick all the time. He didn't know my kids well. He only knew them a little bit. So, but how did they feel? They must have felt. How did they, I mean? Did you did you talk to them about it? Immediately within well within twenty four hours. I, I, again, that that same part of me that said I better talk to people about it said that I better tell my kids who were then eleven about it and tell the truth. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, just tell them the truth. And that was, that was very hard at this moment. And I'm not unique because you can read all the articles. My 13 year old twins are severely depressed. The COVID thing and 78 other things have mm-hmm. made them very sick, both of them. And I'm doing everything that I can possibly do uh, to help them. It's, it's really difficult. And, and I find statistically that I'm speaking to maybe one out of three or four parents that have teenagers that are having the same hard times, you know? This is really, really treacherous time. I mean, the, you know, America, the, the whole world is, is topsy-turvy. And, uh, and there's so much anxiety about what the future holds and you know, they say all politics are local politics, but we have a we have four grand boys, and what, uh, my my eight year old. He was really upset about the whole thing. He's autistic, so it's like taking you out of your routine. And he actually, it's it was very funny. <laughs> he said. He said to his mom... He was doing homework. He was doing homework. He said to his on mom... The, on the computer. I want to go to heaven. And No, he, he was frustrated. He was like, ah! I want to remember that part. Yeah, he's, uh, he was like, I, I hate these screens. I hate the computer. Oh, we're talking about two different stories. Oh, I, I'm combining them? Maybe. Because he tells... I, I mean, maybe it's the same story, but... What I heard was he wanted to go to heaven. And when your eight-year-old says that, you know, you die to go to heaven, he knows that. She's like, okay, what's going on? He goes, I want to go to heaven because coronavirus is making my life hell. <laughs> and it's, we laugh because it's very cute. And and just so... I remember uh, he said, I want to I go to heaven. I want to have my own wife. I want to have my own house. And I just don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, it was horrible for me. It was horrible for everyone. But the kids really got it the worst because they didn't even, I mean, a lot of, some kids got sick, but they were less likely to get sick and they got the most taken away from them. And to be so young and just be forced inside, you know, when most of the times we're like, get outside, get outside and play, go play, be social with your friends, get off your computer. Now you're forcing them into this, place and i mean it's no wonder these kids are really struggling but i think it's they're lucky to have you as a father because you've dealt with this stuff you know that talking about it is so crucial the idea of of talking to your dad about this you know is is, can be tough you know why why would they want to not so easy yeah so get someone for them to talk to someone i'm sure i'm sure they've got somebody they can talk to me (laughs) there's got to be wonderful 12-step programs for for emotional you know just to be able to talk to somebody or or a therapist they used to be when i 
I lived in LA, there was a thing called the warm line where you could call Cedars Sinai Hospital, the warm line and, and find child psychologists. This is, this is rampant. And, and, and thank God that some, that your kids are at least admitting to -hmm. their depression. There's so many others that aren't. They're getting help and and it's a real very beautiful thing. Yeah, and asking for help is even more important. He he asked for it, which was great. You know, one one thing that I only thought about yesterday, because now we're so focused on trying to get back to seeing people and hugging people again. You are, I'm not. You haven't been. I'm I'm done. I'm fine. I'm good. <laughs> I really am. I really am. Yeah, you're staying, staying isolated. I take, you know, I take walks, but I, I'm like, I, I'm not like going out to dinner. Or you, a great need to, you know, to to listen to music. I was, I guess, I wasn't that way before COVID. Yeah, but I, I just, I, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. I, I don't know if it's, I'm comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Uh. I want real discussions. This is very fulfilling. Talking to you, you know, the, having these conversations really is very helpful for my for my emotional hygiene um, because it's real stuff. You know, I I took a walk today and I was you know, the I, the mate that I was I was walking with is just reminiscing about their life uh, when they were a certain age and you know nothing i could actually relate to because i wasn't there what was the thought you had oh i was wondering if one of the reasons one of the you know people always when when they say when you say something like oh someone in my family severely depressed the first thing people say to you is like, what is it? Like there's supposed to be one answer, you know? And I always say, well, there's 78 answers. You want to hear them? Cause there's 78 I'm aware of and 70 others. I don't know what it is because sometimes as you said, Joe, you can't explain it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, can you, can you mention a couple of them for our listeners could be able to identify with well, it? It occurred to me to your question, Danny, is that maybe, Maybe this happened in World War II and maybe this happened in the 50s uh, with the, you know, hiding under your desks in school. But maybe one of the things that's freaked out teenagers is that for the first time ever, I think a lot of them saw their parents massively afraid and completely unclear about where this was all going. And yeah. and I wonder if that's one of the seventy eight things. And how old how old are they? Yeah, my kids are thirteen now. And and did you just recently separate? That happened too. Yeah, year like, like within the last year, but beautifully, that, like best of friends. Doesn't matter, you know. It's like it, yeah, for a kid, a, a, a it kid, still doesn't a, matter. A kid doesn't. It doesn't matter, you know. But that point has never crossed my mind, and that's really true because. Usually you don't realize your parents have their own lives and issues and fears until you're out of the house. But to be 12 and to see it happen, those are your two strongest I pillars. I was 12. Exactly, I was exactly 12 years old when my when my mother and, and, and dad left. What I was too. So it does matter. Yeah. I wanted to bring up what my dad always says about mental illness. There is gene ties, but it's also very environmental. So 
you know, your parents splitting up, your mom with her struggles, that affected your brother. And I don't know if you guys talked about all that stuff when it happened, but that stuff affects every kid in the house very differently too. Like my, one of my best friends, there's three of them, three sisters, parents got divorced. Each one of them came out of that with such different issues with mental health and, um, how they go about relationships and what they want from their lives. And that stuff, if it's not talked about with your sibling, right, that's the one person you should be able to talk about most. It can fester into other things and, and all that stuff. And I don't know if there's a point to any of this or if I just wanted to bring it up for some reason. Cause we're all in this together. That's why. Maybe that's the point of it all. <laughs> we're all in this together. I mean, look that, you know, as horrible, as horrible as all of these last couple of years have been, there's, there's a, a lot of upside to it because like you said, Joey, a lot of people have decided, Hey, maybe I don't want to have bullshit superficial conversations. Now, maybe I want to talk about what's really important and to just pull it all the way back together to the beginning of this conversation. We don't need HBO or NBC or CBS to do what you guys have done now, which is create a show without anybody asking for anybody's permission, mm. right? That's distributed freely to anybody who wants it. I mean, I do think there's a lot of revolutionary stuff that has happened because of the almost end of the world and we're better off for it in some respect. Well, we're also, you know, within our, our group, you know, there's Robert who produces it and does all, all of the electronic and is like our, our, our little angel on our shoulder. Uh, and, and, you know, Mark and, and Gary and all of the people that are donating their, their time into, into something. I gave that we, Jason, by the way, Jason's my idea. Oh, Jason. We love him. We love Jason. He's the uh, other angel on the other shoulder. I threw him in your mix cause he's a good man. And he was really good to me. Um, and, and I, I, I called Gary and said, get this guy. You know? Well, the cool thing is, Thank is you. that we've all, we're all connected through our pain. Yeah. We've all been there. We've all been close to taking the glorious permanent solution. Um, I actually think that would be a great title for a book. A that would be. The permanent, permanent solution they say for a temporary problem, the heavy you know, we're, tile. We're 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 giving we're kind of giving it away in the hopes that somebody will want to ask for help. I mean, I can't tell you. I I tried counting in the last eight or nine years. I've had sixty suicides in my life. You know, it's just like it's. People are, people are just like hitting the tilt button, where they just have had enough. And uh, I, th there's a guy that comes to mind that I was working with in the twelve-step program, who was a highly successful, upwardly mobile, uh, young guy, wife and two kids. And uh, I think there was drug, drug, drug issues. This was in like the, 
the late nineties. Um, but he, he, he threw himself in front of an oncoming speed train, one of those Acela trains, knowing that he couldn't miss. Right. And, uh, and he, he lost several limbs. He lost a leg. He lost an arm from and and his and the shoulder, and then recouped, and tried you know really tried to deal with this with his emotional issues that led him to that moment. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, after months and months and months and months, decided uh, that he wanted to die, and uh, and he was successful this time um you know I, I i see that in my own life when i was when i was drugging drinking and drugging i wanted to die so the idea that i would actually pick up a drink again or a drug would be my version of fuck it you know it's like there's no reason in the world for me to have a drink uh, unless I want to just end my life, just like I'm done. And, uh, I think mankind had, we didn't, if we, we human beings have this fear of the unknown or, you know, and the religious baggage that we come with you know, that, uh, being you know a recovering Catholic, that if I were to kill myself, uh, that I would be in hell for eternity, um, would be the you know, the one reason why I wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, people are people are like less religious, so they're all killing themselves. It's but terrible. I wonder, I wonder if suicide, like I don't know what, like I've known that you've had a lot of people commit suicide in your life dad but for some reason when you just said 60 in the past couple like it just hit me really hard and um i wonder what the stats are in other countries because now i don't want to go down the whole political road because i know you can really go off there um but um i just there's so specifically in the past year but even before that this country we live in I feel just like keeps letting us down. And I wonder how much like, cause you already have your own emotional, like your own personal and your family and your friend drama that adds to your emotional health. But then you have this country that if you're not a straight white man and, you, and, and a lot of straight white men do commit suicide. So there are things there that fail them as well, mainly in the like must stay masculine kind of way. Um, but I wonder how much that plays into it. Like if in other countries, the rate of suicide is as high as ours. Um, I'm, I'm thinking like Canada and like New Zealand where things seem to be a little bit generally run better. Cause not even just the politics part, but just like not having free healthcare. So when you get a bill that completely goes, you broke, what do you do? You know? So it, it's, it, that would be interesting to to research on or maybe talk to someone who knows about all that stuff. Oh, you know, you got the evening, get to it. I hate doing research. I'm like yeah. him, I don't like <laughs> to do research. <laughs> but um yeah, I mean it's it's a hard time. I I think that 
that it's justifiable depression. You know, uh, uh, clinical depression is when when you're depressed and you have no outside reason to be. This is justifiable depression. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of reasons to be anxious and uh, and, and to escape. If I wanted to escape my feelings, that's why I had a drink. I, or, you know, that's, I wanted, I wanted to get laid because that's, you know, that made me feel better. Um, Did you ever turn to any stuff like that or was you just, was it work for you always and only? Yeah, I never, I never got too deep in, you know, I mean, I had my times, you know, I had, yeah. I had my fun. I worked in rock and roll and I was around it, you know, for a lot. Um, I had my fun, but I never got um, <clears throat> completely sucked in because again, I, I, there were people around me that, that had in my family and also my friends and I'd lost a lot of friends and, you know, met a lot of people who, um, you know, just really lost themselves. So I was always, I guess for, in a way, Maybe it was like my ultimate fear, right? That I, if I just keep working, 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 you know, I'm not going to go down, you know, not, not going to, not going to uh, uh, go down like that. But I'm a Springsteen fanatic. I was raised a Jew and I converted to Springsteenism as a teenager. <laughs> so I, I worship the guy. We didn't know till his book a couple of years ago that his depression is so severe, he said in interviews, even after the book, that he cannot get out of bed without the correct mix of medications. We didn't know that. No one knew that. And then you see this guy on stage for hours and hours and hours and hours. So as, as much as I know about the guy, I think that's his drug. I think work is his drug. Those are the, I mean, they're the lucky ones. Although sometimes work being a drug can be very damaging on yourself but and like, your but family. But there is no magic bullet. There's no silver bullet. It, you know, life is tragic. All life is tragic. And, uh, and we all have pieces of it. We have pieces, little pieces of uh, exuberation. Uh, is that a right word? Is that a word even what I just said? Yeah, it feels exuberance. like one. You know, <laughs> and, jubi and jubilation. Um, that I remember reading somewhere that in the, the turn of the century, most people lived to be 40, 45, 50. A long yeah. life was 60. And you had, you had these events in your life um, that were, uh, you know, children get, you, you get married, big deal. You have children, it's a big deal. Uh and uh, and and then your children get married, and that and those are like the three three big events that that uh, the normal person who didn't have a telephone, you know, you just worked, uh, you, you did your job, you worked, you got you you got your check. I just recently watched uh, it was one of my favorite movies, is How Green Was My Valley, um, the John Ford with the uh, about. Uh, miners in Wales, uh, and the the movie begins uh, with a narrative telling telling you uh, oh, the valley and my brothers, my five brothers, and my sister, and uh, the and the preacher, and then you know the shit hits the fan. You know from that wonderful introduction, 
it just gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. Um, and it, it it's it's a you know dialogue for how life is. I think advertising has had a lot to do with making us nuts because since the beginning of the radio, they were telling us that if you had this, um, you know, if you had if 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 you took uh, two bare aspirins, you're not going to have a headache. Or then television comes and and you know. You see the USA in a Chevrolet, and so there was your status symbol. Where before it was your church right. and your children, that was your status. So now it's like you go to LA, and it's your BMW was your status. And now, what I think politically, to be political for a moment, is I'm that only it's moment. become a cult of personality. They've the algorithms, and yes. you know the the Madison Avenue guys have come and figured this out that. You can, you can, you know, turn politics into a religion. This so is, that they, they feel really, like that politics, politics is their, their church, church now. now. This is beyond politics. I think the real point that you're making is it's advertising. You said that the, the greatest, deepest thing, which is that we're conditioned with this message that says, you should be happy. And I'm hearing you running a different campaign, which is you're going to suffer and it's okay. That's right. Yeah. We always say our goal, you should never, you should never be happy, but like, that's not your goal. Your goal should not be happy. Your goal should be knowing how to manage any emotion that comes to you. People try to keep your shit together. Yeah. <laughs> People tell people are say, "Hey, you happy? Fuck you!" Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really nice to meet you guys. It was wonderful um, meeting you and talking to you. And don't be surprised if you hear from me, because um, don't don't be uh, <laughs> don't be. Uh, I'll just say, do please call me. I'll do whatever I can do to help you. I would love that, and I'm gonna get your book and read it. Um, yeah, it's just it's. Do that. I met you at the perfect time. I think this was truly meant to be. And thank you for talking to us and being so open. And uh, it's wonderful. And I watched one of your your uh, little episodes, and you said, and we talked about it, turning your pain into purpose. And I think that's great that that's something you inspire, and that's something we try to inspire. So. Um, yeah, thank you, and and thank your family for us. Yes, um, uh, because we're all uh, we're all survivors. Yeah, and truly, I mean, I meant it when I said, if your kids want to talk to me, they can reach out. That's my pain into purpose is helping other people talk about their pain and just listening to them. So, thank you. That was great. That was incredible. Yeah, I I really I really enjoyed. Um, Rob's a really interesting guy and not just I'm not just saying that because he's bald <laughs> like me no I really really enjoyed talking to him and hope we stay in touch with him and he's just so lovely and you know I'm gonna say all the things I always say at the end of this so I'm just not gonna say them because people who listen know it's the same thing every time so well, I'm gonna say it anyway it was amazing. It was wonderful. It makes me feel better just talking about it with other people. He just had such a great vibe about him. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, just feel better. So talk to your friends, people, because 
They're going through it too. Yeah, trust. You'd be and surprised that they, 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 a lot of them are feeling, uh, no kidding, just like you. Yeah. And happiness is not the goal. And turn your pain into purpose. Turn it into purpose. I love you, Danny. I love you, Daddy.